0: I've been teaching uh, forever on the book of Revelation We're all the way down to chapter 3 The very end of chapter 3 And so we're going to continue that uh, Tonight, it's verse by verse Our world is changing, Jesus is coming back Most people are completely Aloof to the fact That Jesus is coming back Sort of like like the days of Noah Noah built that ship, it took him 120 years Right towards the end of it Everybody was laughing at him and picking on him Until it started raining and then the floodgates let loose and water started rising. And Then it started beating on the, uh, on the uh, outside of the ark, wanting in. God shut the door, you couldn't get in. So it's kind of that way today, y'all. Everybody's living as though life will continue, infinite Adam, just as it is. But how many know the world is changing? So book of Revelation is uh, God gave uh, John, the last apostle to be alive, a revelation on an island in the Aegean Sea called Patmos, he was there. Uh, uh, he was being persecuted tremendously. And while he was there, <laughs> how many know God can use you even in your down times? So, you know, regardless of the situation you're in, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, John blessed us with a panoramic view of what the world's going to be like just prior to the second coming of Christ. The uncanny thing is we see things lining up now, and you'll see what I mean. As we get further into the book, so we have covered chapter 1. Very clearly, the re- book, the, the actually word revelation, apocalypsis, means an unveiling, and it's an unveiling of future things. So we're covering it verse by verse. We finished chapter one, chapters two, and three. Uh, Jesus himself addressed seven churches in modern day Turkey. They were like on a postal route, fairly close together, and it could be that maybe, we don't know, but scholars think that maybe maybe John had some oversight of some of those churches, hence Jesus had something to say to those particular churches, but they really. Really cool thing I think about it is, is that the whole book of Revelation is showing us what it's going to be like just before Jesus comes back, and particularly chapters two and three. Um, uh, one one of the views, and this is the one I'm going I'm to. This is the slant I have when I'm teaching this lesson in our local churches. Uh, I, I think it's speaking to us of the state of the church and the kinds of things you can see in the church world just before Jesus comes back. And you know, this is the only time in the whole Bible. It's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus addressed letters to local churches, had someone pen them so the whole church world throughout the church age could read and hear what Jesus had to say to these seven churches. And it's analogous to the things that I believe we face just before Jesus comes back. So we've been covering that. We've covered six of them. We've covered, <coughs> excuse me, in chapter 2, the Ephesus church. And Jesus said to that church, Come back to your first love. Keep your heart close to me. Don't let anything take you away from me. How many know we need to hear that today? With all the gadgets and distractions and things. And, and then the next, um, the next three particularly uh, have similar kind of themes, but they're a little bit different. Uh, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamum, the church in Thyatira. We cover this in detail. All of them dealt with persecutions that they had to endure um, because of where they lived at the time, and the government was against them, uh, sin in their culture was just rampant, and, uh, and the tendency was to compromise. All three, these, all three of these churches, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, they had tremendous opportunities to compromise what they believed, and Jesus said, don't do it. If you compromise, you lose. And I'm summarizing, we get, went into great detail there. And then the church in Sardis was the church that it said it was alive, but Jesus said it's dead. This is a church where a lot of the people were perhaps not even born again. And and again, it it speaks today of the formal church. Those that go to church and and they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And it's liturgy, it's ritual, but the heart is not in it. And a person comes and does certain things to salve the conscience, but then they go their way. You know, six days a week, and and live like everybody else lives, and and Jesus said has some really strong things to say to the church of Sardis, which was the dead church come alive. How many know Jesus changes us? Then the Philadelphia church, we mentioned that last time, and this is the only church that Jesus had no condemnation for. They were doing it right. Uh, they loved one another. They were helping their community. They were doing good works. But all in all, they had a love for Jesus, and he commended them for that. And then the last church we're coming to tonight, and this will end this, and then next time we'll start with Revelation chapter 4. It'll be a whole t- completely different uh, set of information, a whole new scenario, and it'll be, you'll be really amazed to see that the, the world is lining up so amazingly accurately uh, to what John saw, uh, God so showed John Jesus, showed John on the Isle of Patmos tonight. Uh, the Laodicean church, the last of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to. And this is the lukewarm church. So there, in Revelation chapter 3. Let's just read the verbiage. We'll make some comments and uh, we'll be done with that. Revelation 3 beginning with verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. How would you like Jesus to say that to you, man? I counsel you to buy me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness what the Spirit says to the churches. So these are some really strong words that Jesus had for this last church, the Laodicean church. And, uh, you know, it's very applicable to what we're dealing with today. Uh, the Laodicean church was uh, located again, perhaps on a major postal route in what is today modern day Turkey in the Bible. Turkey's called, that area of the world's called Asia Minor, uh, Anatolia, if you look up uh, history maps and such was the name of that area of the world. Nonetheless, modern-day Turkey, and these churches were, you know, not too far from one another. Laodicea was uh, located, again, on a a major road. Uh, This city was really kind of, it was about 300 years old uh, by the time that this letter was written. And, uh, you know, it was a seasoned city, very wealthy city. In fact, uh, Alexander the Great, one of his uh, generals, actually founded this city in 250 B.C., and uh, so uh, several several things make this city stick out. It was a, a really beautiful city. It had theaters and, and shops and stadiums and at the time, public baths were very popular for relaxation and all kinds of strange things as well and uh, just great shopping centers. Uh, Laodicea was also uh, was also known uh, they had no water in Laodicea, so um, they 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 actually dug some aqueducts from a city about six miles away. And it was quite a feat in their day. And there were some hot springs in the city about six miles away. They just boiled up out of the ground. And they hooked those aqueducts to the hot springs thinking, well, we'll just take that hot water and we'll just have another little novelty in their city. The problem was, by the time it got to Laodicea, the water, you know, went six miles through the aqueducts, it was lukewarm. And nobody wanted to drink it. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. I've, you know, we've got 12 churches in Ethiopia, and uh, uh, six of them are down south. There's no running water, no electricity. You've heard my story before, but it bears repeating. So, you know, I'm sitting, you know, we're in between meetings. You know, we're going to all six churches and teaching these illiterate people who just need to know about God so desperately. And we're sitting there under a thatched roofed hut, and uh, there's no electricity, no running water. I had a bottle of water we brought with us from Addis Ababa, and I'm sitting there drinking my water, and, you know, trying to enjoy the afternoon. The problem with enjoying the afternoon was at 110 degrees outside. No kidding, 110. So I'm sitting there saying, man, I'm really thirsty. Opened my fresh bottle of water up, took the first sip, and the ambient temperature of the water was the temperature outside. And it was the nastiest water I've ever had in my life. So thought about that when I thought about Laodicea. They wanted to get a nice little bit of water, you know, from the water source and Laodicea. It's like, oh, that's awful. Well, they had to deal with that, and it was a little, a little bit challenging. Laodicea was also, um, you know, it was a very wealthy town. They had some, some, uh, a lot of businesses in Laodicea. They had developed a dye uh, that they were well known for—a black dye that they were able to dye woolen fabrics uh, with, and all, <coughs> excuse me, also carpets. And uh, and they were well known, and those were, and those were uh, exported all over the world. So they became very wealthy. Because of the dyes they used to dye the wool. They were well, well known for that. And then, you know, in the Middle East, if you've ever been to the Middle East, it's an arid climate. And then, you know, the, the, the roads are dusty. The roads aren't paved, so dust kicks up all the time. The wind and just animals and people and such. And, and, uh, and so you get dust in your eyes. So they created an, a, a, a powdered eye salve that you could put in your eyes and it would relieve you know, just the debris in your eyes make your eyes just feel so much better. So they were known for all this. Because of that, there were lots of little, you know, businesses that cropped up. because of, it. And they became extremely, inordinately wealthy. Laodicea was a very wealthy town. As I read the background of the Laodicea, I found out even some, uh, much of the gold that went into the temple in Jerusalem, some of it came from Laodicea because they had so much... They were so blessed. Another thing that I found interesting, 60 A.D., and that's, you know, 30 years or so before this was written, there was a terrible earthquake in Laodicea. You know, it's a Roman colony, of course. Uh, uh, but they never asked Rome for a dime. They paid, and the earthquake was devastating. They rebuilt their city with their money. They didn't ask, they said, Rome, we don't want your money. Just gives you a little bit of background about Laodicea. These people were really... They're kind of like the U.S. today. We are the... Well, if, if you look at graphs and charts and just chart the finances of nations worldwide, here's the U.S. and the other nations are... You know, if you look at the, 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 the graphs and, and, you know, the GDP, here's the U.S., other nations. I mean, they're, we're so far ahead of them. That was kind of like Laodicea in their day. Very, very wealthy, wealthy place. So... Um, Jesus really had some strong things to say, but he needed to say some strong things to them. But but, but perhaps they were dull of hearing. So let's go back to Revelation 3.14. There's just a little bit of background as to why Jesus had to say those kinds of things. To the city starts out and he says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says that amen. That word amen means the truth. I am the embodiment of truth. Listen to me. Because everything I say is absolutely correct. He's the sovereign one behind all human events. That's what Jesus says when he says, these things says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I'm the sum total of everything. I uphold things, everything by the word of my power. Uh, the scripture's clear that God created the worlds and the fullness thereof uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus and his word. Uh, created and sustains all things. And that's what he says to them. I am the sovereign one watching over you. And the next thing he says, in verse 10, 15, he says, I know your works. Now see, all of us ought to read that and go, wow. God, it, it, Jesus knows everything about us. I came to the Lord just before I was 18 years old and had a really checkered past, colored past, bad. I a teenager on drugs and such. And, And was pretty ashamed of a lot of the things I'd done. and didn't want to tell my parents. But when I came to the Lord, it was quite shocking to me. And I never forgot it. I I read, I read, um, I have somebody's, I have the wrong notes open. Hang on, y'all. That's why I saw Ann's name on my notes. You have these notes open. I have two sets of notes, y'all. Well, this, oh, there I, now I've got my notes. Here we are. So I read this verse, God knows everything about us. Y'all, I make two sets of notes, let me straighten that up. I have to make them for the web, and then I make them so nobody can mess with my notes while I'm reading. They used to highlight and turn them pink, so they don't do that anymore. I'm just telling the truth. So. I saw your name, I saw anyway. I'm good, I'm back on my notes. But anyway, Hebrews 4.13, I came to the Lord, I read Hebrews 4.13, I was like, wow, it blew me away. And it says, there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked. Exposed. To the eyes of him. With whom we have to give account. What does that mean? God sees through us. He sees clear through. All the facades. All the things that we don't want anybody else to know. He sees, he sees everything. And that's what Jesus said to them. I know your works. And then he said this. That you're neither cold nor hot. There's a reference to those aqueducts and that water supply from this city six miles away. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, they were known for their lukewarm water. Neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, people of the first century, they, like their, they either like hot beverage or cold beverage, but nothing in between. So Jesus said, I wish you were one or the other. At least I could tell Where you are, and you would know where you are. You don't even know where you're at. You're lukewarm. So he challenged him really, really strong. There's a real danger. And and so there it is, the danger of being a lukewarm believer. And y'all, sadly, in America today, there are many lukewarm believers. And it's not hard to be lukewarm. Let's go a little further. Then he says in verse 17, Because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Oh, my goodness. Why did Jesus say that? They were, they were opulently wealthy. And um, here's the thing. you you got to know there's, there's two kinds of challenges we have in life. It's one thing to, to have to deal with lack and poverty and have nothing. And how many know that's a huge test to overcome poverty, overcome having nothing? All of us have had the ups and downs financially in life. You know, it happens, you know, when you're young and going to school. It happens when you're starting your career. Particularly happens when you start having babies. Babies have dollar bills besides them. Would you agree? And you just find out how much life costs. But we have the ups and downs financially. You know, it's one thing to to, uh, deal with poverty. However, it's quite another thing. I think a greater test than poverty is prosperity. And that's what he's saying to them. In fact... It, it, my mind went right back to the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, in my morning readings, I'm reading through Deuteronomy uh, this month. And, and oh my goodness, just listen to what God said to the Israelites about prosperity. And he's speaking directly to us in America. Because we're doing pretty good right now. Everybody's pretty happy with the economy. Everybody's touting, oh man, we've never been so strong. Blah, blah, blah. But be careful that you don't trust your money. And that's what Jesus was saying to the Laodiceans, and it caused them to be lukewarm. Here's what God said to the Israelites, uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, but that is the time. He said, when you are, have, have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. talking about when the Israelites come into the land God promised Abraham to give them, but that is the time to be very careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands ...regulations, decrees that I'm giving you today. He said, for when you've come, become full and prosperous... ...and have built fine homes to live in... ...and when your flocks and herds have become very large... ...and your silver and gold has multiplied along with everything else... ...be careful. Do not become proud at that time. And forget the Lord your God... ...who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness... ...with His poisonous snakes and scorpions... Where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness. A food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you. Test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself. I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. That's what the Laodiceans had done. They had been so wealthy for so many years. They had a track record of business. Their exports were known worldwide. They had everything they could dream of. And, 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 and so when it came to being a Christian and knowing Jesus, oh yeah, we know him, but they were so busy making money and doing their thing that they became lukewarm in their experience with God. And so Jesus decried that. has some really strong things to say th- to them. He says, because you say, I'm rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and you don't know, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Uh, prosperity is a, is, a, is a tremendous challenge for every human. Y'all, I've been in ministry since 1981. You wouldn't believe, I've been to, I forgot to count it, 12, 13 churches. Traveling and going to school and this and that from the time I knew Jesus till now. And, but you wouldn't believe how many people that I've known. Not just have come here since I've been here for 25 years, but Other churches. I mean, they, it was rags to riches. God blessed this person. God begin to prosper this person. God would heal someone's body. God would bless them and bless their business, bless their work. And I've seen so many people, so many families, listen to me, get blessed by God. Have the favor of God upon them. And then in the middle of the blessing, slowly, slowly, slowly become lukewarm and leave God alone. And you see them years later... Tragedy is struck They got problems in their marriage Problems with their children Then the money no longer satisfies And life becomes twisted and warped How many know it's worth y'all Seeking first the kingdom of God I don't care if you're in poverty Or you're in prosperity Seek first the kingdom of God And his righteousness And all these things will be added How many hear me? So Jesus had a scathing rebuke for them They didn't realize the shape they were in they really thought they were okay. And he said, You don't know the way I see you. You think you got a fo- closet full of clothes. He said, You think you can see clearly because you're putting that ointment on your eyes day and night. You think you're doing good. You got your little black stuff on. You got your little wool on. You got your closet full. And Jesus said to him, The way I see is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Then he went further I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be rich. And what he was saying was, consecrate the works of your hands to me. Don't let anything endear itself to your heart. I am your sole supply. And guys, you have forgotten that. That's what he was saying. And then he said, white garments, that you may be clothed. And I'm sure they were thinking, well, don't you like our fine wool? Don't you like our fine carpets? He said, you need my fine righteousness. Because you've forgotten. You're not righteous by works. You're not righteous by what you have and what street you live on. What kind of car you drive, so to speak. You're righteous because you know me. How many hear me? Wow, really strong. He said that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. How many know we got two sets of eyes? We have our outward eyes, we have inner eyes the eyes of the spirit man. And how many know the only person that can enlighten the eyes of our understanding is God, our heavenly father. And it's so easy for our vision to be blocked by the current, by the present things, by the distractions of our age. That's the challenges that we also face today. So Jesus said here, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. How many know if God really loves you He's going to talk straight to you. I've had a few choice friends in my life. And I have to tell you that the ones that have made the biggest impression on my life. are Not the ones that told me everything I wanted to hear. But I've had them pull me aside. Say, Mitch, because I love you. Can we talk? I've had some friends. And you you can't have very many friends like that. But if you've got one or two that can pull you aside and say, can we talk? Can I get real with you? And they'll tell you not what you want to hear but what you need to hear. How many know that's worth more than money can buy? If you've got a mama and a daddy who don't just try to be your friend, but you know what? They're going to be father. They're going to be mother. They're going to tell you when you're wrong. They're going to ch- chasten you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to help straighten your life up. How many know that's really valuable? It's a problem in our world today. Jesus said here, as many as I love, God, I rebuke. And chasten. Proverbs 27 5 says, Open rebuke is better than carefully concealed love. If you really love someone, be honest with him. How many know we all need a straight talker? Then he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock it. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door. I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, all of us are blind to some areas of life, and most all of us, our greatest blindness is ourselves. We tend to think the best of ourselves and the worst of everyone else, and we tend to be idealistic with ourselves. So, you know, you've heard my little stories, but You know, now it's four years ago. God spoke a word to me, January 2016. I did not know where that word would take me. And uh, it took me into changing how we do church life, our staff. We made lots of transitions. And I had to make personal changes. And because of the word God gave me, to summarize this quickly, I hired a John. You've heard me say this so many times. I hired a John Maxwell coach because I couldn't see me. And I knew that I needed to make some, some demonstrative changes. I came here in 1994. We had less than 50 people. And, um, and I knew that we needed to change how we were doing what we were doing <coughs> with, with respect to how we managed the church. And I knew that I couldn't see myself properly. <coughs> Excuse me. So I hired this guy. And you've heard my story. He made me so mad. I just can't describe. Um, I'm trying to find adjectives. Uh, some of them would be um, um, anger, um, almost animosity. Um, I could, I, I, I'm, I'm He made me, he, he got down into where I am and how I live and how I think. This guy would, so to speak, point his finger in my face and say, Mitch, this is you. And then he would say, you're just wrong. I'm kind of a big guy. And I wanted to help him with some of my bigness. But I, I didn't. And I listened. And I said, talk. One of my friends did this years ago. And, uh, and he would say when he hired this person, talk to me. So I finally said, talk to me. And he, he got in my life. I mean, he got in my business. It's the best thing. That ever happened to me the best thing that'll have ever happened to you and me is when we let god in our business so so here's a little story here in 1985 i thought i was doing well i was in oklahoma on staff at a large church uh 1985 i would have been uh, 27 that year and uh was overseeing a whole department of the church had a couple hundred people helping me do what i do it's really hard I was weighing over my head. I just needed to trust God. Uh, I, came across, I came across David's prayer, Psalm 139, in my daily devotion. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me, and know my thoughts. And see if there's any baneful motive, hurtful way. Different translations say it things. See if there's anything in me that displeases you, is the bottom line. And then lead me in the way everlasting. And then another one, Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then Psalm 90, verse 8, amplified our iniquities, our secret heart and its sins, which we would so like to conceal even from ourselves. You have set in the revealing light of your countenance. I, uh, During my little devotion, one morning I said, God, man, you're... You're talking strong to me. This is 1985. I never forget. I, I put. I closed my Bible. Closed my book. I got on my knees. Said, God, um, I don't think I need to pray this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> and I prayed it. And and, and I, I hate to tell you, but I was thinking, you know, you, you must be pretty proud of me. I'm 27. I got the world by the tail. You know, you're doing everything that you're calling me to do. I think I'm doing a pretty good job, don't you? Pride, oh, Father God, pride. Pride has to do with your youth. But you know, as you get seasoned in life, and you have the bruises that come, and the knocks that come with living life, it has a tendency to knock you off your pedestal. How many hear what I'm saying? So I was full of pride, y'all. And I thought God was so proud of me. So I prayed this prayer, thinking, well, you you ain't got much to say to me, you know. Y'all, it wasn't two weeks. I was on my face weeping. I didn't realize the root of pride that was in my life. I didn't realize the self-centeredness that was in me. I didn't realize the fleshly tendencies that that I had allowed to grow in my life. I didn't even, I couldn't, and the thing that challenged me, I couldn't even see them. And that's the way we all are. If you're a smart person, you'll open the door. Because Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door. And a knock. And you know, a smart person will open the door and say, Jesus, come with your special light that can see my insides and can see what I can't see. And if you'll pray that prayer, "Mm, it's not easy. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Because it's so freeing. And it's not that you become automatically perfect, but it exposes what you're not To the all-seeing eyes of Jesus, and that's what Jesus did to the Laodicean church. They were saying, "You must be pretty proud of us, you know. We're we're uh, sporting some nice clothes. We're dressing all the churches up. All the ushers and your pastors all over the world. Man, they they're probably wearing some of our garments. And man, your your people can really read the Bible. All this new stuff that's coming out from from the apostles must be really proud of us, God." And and Jesus said, "Well, he had some things to say. He opened their eyes." And how many know that's a good thing? I want to close reading a couple of things here. He, here is Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, Passion Translation, which is an offshoot of Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, nor to test his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son whom he delights. And here is Hebrews 12, Passion Translation, starting with verse 5. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God, or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training your life, in your life, is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Isn't that good? I love the way this uh, translation puts it. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he's doing what any loving loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we're strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood, and it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Now, all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later it will produce A transformation of character. Bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Isn't that awesome? So, you know, I encourage you. If you've not prayed that prayer, pray it. Open your heart and say, God, expose me to me. Or expose me to you. And let me see what you see. And then help me overcome that. When you pray that, it's an amazing thing. The problem, as I conclude, with lukewarmness is complacency. And we're living in an extremely complacent uh, era today, in that particularly in the West, but I think things are going to be changing, perhaps in the not too distant future. I'll tell you that I believe this year is a year of preparation for the ensuing years, just before Jesus comes back. We don't know the day or hour, but we do seem to be in the season of His return. World events will take a, a, a real change one day. We need to be prepared for that. One of the ways we can prepare is open our heart to God without Jesus having to come and say, You think you cool? Well, let me tell you what I see. And it's just better. The problem today, there are three words that describe today. Complacency, complacent, and commonplace. I've shared this many times before. The definition for complacency is quiet satisfaction, contentment. The quality or state of being satisfied. A calm sense of well-being and security. Self-satisfaction accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers. How many hear that? My. Or deficiencies. That is, you don't even know you got a problem. Complacent. Marked by satisfaction and pleasure at one's own personality, accomplishments, or situations. Like I was as a 27-year-old. Satisfaction about the security of one's own position. Careless acceptance of events around one. Disinclined to act, change, or guard. I'm happy with the way things are. I'm happy with the way I'm living. That's what what the Laodiceans were doing. And many people today are just that way today. And then the last word is commonplace. Anything common or ordinary. Neither new nor interesting. Obvious or trite. I can tell you as being a person now who's into my 44th year of walking with the Lord, this is my 41st year of being married to my wife. So here's here's the challenge I see for me as a believer. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. I have read most all of the theology. I still read lots of books. There's lots I haven't read, but I am fairly... I'm fairly uh, versed in the major themes of Scripture. I've read the Bible through I don't know how many times. So in that sense, there's nothing new under the sun. So I have to pray as an older believer, God, keep me hungry. And help me see things that I've never seen before. How many know the Bible is like that? So for me as a believer, I always say, God, don't ever let me, don't let the Bible become common. Don't might let the, my relationship with you be marked by complacency. That as I just take you for granted. And y'all, the longer you live, the more challenging that becomes. So for me, you know, I just make sure every day I'm on my face in prayer. I really mean that. And I talk to the Lord about me and I keep, keep seeing all the inconsistencies in me because I ask him to show me. And then the other thing I do is I, I read the scriptures in different translations. I, I read after other people. I do anything I can to keep myself from being complacent. How many hear what I'm saying? Oh, go back and read. There's certain books I read them over and over again. There's some books that are to be written, read one time, and then it's a challenge. There are other books when you read them, it's like I got to read that again. And then you, there's some books I read every year. There's some chapters in some books I read. Several times throughout the year. Why do I do that? Because you don't want to get to the place that the things of God become commonplace. And they mean nothing to you. How many hear what I'm saying? My relationship with Susan, she's been gone since last Friday. I have FaceTimed her every day. And I've looked into her eyes. And I've said, I love you. You know, if you're going to be married a long time to somebody, you can't take the relationship for granted. How many hear me? Well, I've kissed the lips off her face. All right. And you know We've just been married a long time But you know what We still do the simple things We still do the practical things I still open the door for her I still say I love you I still tell her She's the most beautiful thing That I have personally ever seen I tell her thank you When she does something for me Those kinds of things Do that with the Lord Lord thank you Every time God answers a prayer I say Lord thank you Thank you for your goodness in my mind sometimes. Y'all, I go back. I go back to my single digit age, up to age 10, then my teens, my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, and now I'm into my 60s. And I think about all of the things that Jesus has done, God has done, all of the times that I should have died, all of the times I should have gone down all of the times i shouldn't have made it all of the times i didn't deserve it but he did it anyway you know i'm telling you if you don't take him for granted and become complacent he becomes the most endearing person in all of your life if you're married and you're young here's what's going to happen you're going to age you won't have any hair your hair turns gray You get bigger, you get wrinkled, you look older. There's nothing you're going to do about that. But the beauty of age is the beauty of the heart. And if you're married to somebody because you see the inner beauty, you can look at them and say, I love you because I see who you really are. And I've seen you through the tests of time. How many hear me? And see, you can do that with God, your Heavenly Father. Lord, you've been faithful to me in my youth. You'll be faithful to me in old age. and all of the in-between, you are my Father. You are my God. I am your daughter. I am your son. How many hear me? Y'all, the, the appeal of Jesus to the Laodiceans is don't let yourself get lukewarm. Don't take for granted what you have because it could be gone tomorrow. I'll leave you with this. Here's what I feel in my heart. We're in a preparation phase for the things that are to come. I really think we have some fairly grueling hardships in certain parts of the world. I don't know how much it's going to affect America. But we take into our future the preparations we've made inside. So regardless of what happens on the outside, the preparation must be made inside. Jesus was seeking to get these layered to see and people to see Hey, hey, challenges are coming one day. And he wanted the church worldwide through the Laodicean church to see, hey, keep your heart tender. Keep your heart warm towards God because you don't know what's coming down the pike of life. Prepare your heart. Keep it close. Keep it free and keep it tender.